Thanks for listening to the Thyroid Fixer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Horneman, thyroid fixer, functional medicine practitioner, hormone and weight loss expert. We're talking all things thyroid, hormone, and health-related in order to empower, educate, and transform you. So if you're ready to get your life back, let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome. This is our speed round of Q&As. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope it helps with all of your questions. These are a ton of questions that I've been getting in recently. One of them may be yours. So listen up, and we are going to dive right in. Are you finally at your wit's end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. So of course, topic, thyroid and hormones and weight and adrenals, all of that good stuff that we always talk about on here. The first question is, is there a better medicine than Synthroid? I'm so tired of getting fatter. So many of you have heard this before, right? I always talk about T4 not working on its own in about 99% of patients. So if you are hypothyroid, if you have Hashimoto's, if you had a total thyroidectomy, a partial thyroidectomy, and you are on T4 only, meaning Levo, Synthroid, Tyrosint, and there's many other names for them. If you are on T4 only without its co-component, the most important component, T3, in the mix somehow, some way, in the form of leothyronine, cytomel, or as an NDT, a natural desiccated thyroid medication, then you are getting the short end of the stick. Because when you think about it, that T4 has to convert over to the active form of T3. So you are taking T4, which is completely inactive. None of your cells, not one of them, has a receptor site on it for T4. We only have receptor sites on our cells for T3. So if you're talking about getting fatter and fatter, number one, are you converting? Are you converting all of that T4 into its active form T3 to get to your cell, to give you a metabolism, to help you lose your weight? Is that even happening? Well, the only way to know that is by testing your reverse T3. And even if that is not elevated, so reverse T3 optimal is below a 12. Even if that isn't elevated and you're still on T4 only, you could just be stuck. You could be reacting to the fillers in it. If it's generic, you said you were on Synthroid. So my argument would be you're on T4 only and it just doesn't work. So many other factors come into play when we're talking about conversion. So when we're talking about conversion, we have to look at 
Are you insulin resistant? That high insulin will impair T4 to T3 conversion. Are you estrogen dominant? That will impair. Are you anemic? Do you have enough iodine, zinc, selenium, magnesium, all the cofactors needed to convert T4 to T3 properly? If you don't have those, then taking all the T4 in the world is not going to help. So you are either getting fatter because your reverse T3 is elevated or you're getting fatter because your cells are starved from T3. You're not converting properly. You don't have T3 in the mix and it's just not working and you are staying in a hypothyroid state. So even if that reverse isn't elevated, you are still hypo, meaning low and everything is low and sluggish. It's just in a deep, low, hypo, hypo state. Okay. Are there any natural products I can take instead of Levo? Kind of bouncing off of our last question. So when we say natural, many people think of the natural desiccated thyroid medications. And while they are natural, so NDT, that's your armor, that's your NP, nature throid, those are derived from dried thyroid gland. So they are essentially thyroid glandulars. Now they are still made by a drug company. They are still manufactured in a manufacturing plant that makes medications. You know, you get the little stamped white round pill, right? You're not, you're not doing um, fairy dust. You're not buying it at GNC, although there are some supplements that pretty much have thyroid glandular in it and act like an armor or act like an NDT. That it's considered, I guess, as quote unquote natural as you can get in the whole thyroid medication realm. But still in all, it is still manufactured. When you're talking about, are there any natural products I can take instead of Levo? The question would be, if you're talking about supplements, then yes. I mean, well, yes and no. It depends on the person. I always say, I mean, number one, you don't want to be on T4 only. So my preference for you would be, to be on a natural desiccated thyroid medication that actually contains T3 and helps with your symptoms. And then part two to that would be, of course, there are natural supplements, some of which contain thyroid glandular in them that can act like an NDT when we can't get someone's practitioner to prescribe NDT or to prescribe T3 and they were just literally stuck if they are in one of the three states we can't prescribe to and, and we're seeing you virtually, then we can use some natural um, supplements to help. We can use iodine. That also helps get someone out of that deep hypo state when they are stuck on Levo or stuck on T4 only. But my preference for you would be to move you into getting on a T4, T3 combo or adding T3 in the mix, actually. Why do I have to avoid the halides, like the bromide, fluoride, chlorine, chloride? Okay, these are basically toxic to the thyroid gland. So we always tell you to stop drinking Mountain Dew. Don't soak in a hot tub that's filled with bromine. Bromine will absolutely deplete your body of iodine. Iodine is needed by the thyroid to function, is needed for conversion of T4 to T3. If you are bromide toxic, it will pull the iodine out of your body. It will deplete your iodine stores. And that is just bad, bad, bad news for your thyroid gland. Fluoride, if you're brushing your teeth with fluoride, that's also, think about it, your mouth is here, your thyroid gland is here. Not only is it destroying your thyroid gland, it's toxic to your thyroid gland, 
But if you don't have a thyroid and you're relying on medication, or if you have a Hashimoto's and you're in the later stages, if you have hypothyroidism and you're taking thyroid medication and you're using fluoride, you are decreasing the effectiveness of your medication as well. It's incredibly, all the halides are incredibly toxic to the thyroid gland. That includes, of course, chlorine, which is in our water system. So if you're on city water, you have chlorine in your water system. There are times at, more so at my dad's house, because I have a water filtration system at my house. At my dad's house, I can actually smell the chlorine when we turn on the the water. I grew up with a pool, so we would dump chlorine in the pool. I know the smell like the back of my hand. So I can smell high amounts of chlorine in the water. And then that just freaks me out. I mean, not only is that killing your hair and your skin, but it's decreasing the function of your thyroid gland. And that is just sad, 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 sad. Okay, we're moving on. Why do some endocrinologists refuse to acknowledge T3 and reverse T3? Listen, if I had that answer, I would be a wealthy, wealthy woman. It's what they've learned. So I heard a talk by Dr. David Brownstein, and he was talking about when he was in medical school. And one of his professors was actually smart enough to say this to the class. He said, 50% of what you learn now in school will be false, negated, and flipped around five years from now. Now, if every single professor in every single medical school said that to our doctors, specifically our endocrinologists, maybe we would be in a better state, but that's not the case and it's not happening. So I told the story about years ago how I gave a a talk to the integrative wellness practitioners here at LECOM. And I was talking about reverse T3. I was talking about testing for it and the importance of testing for it. I was talking about getting out of the Synthroid box and actually being willing to prescribe T3 because if you have if you have depression and you need an antidepressant, doctors will prescribe you two, three, four different kinds. They'll stack one on top of the other till they find the right mix to fix you. Well, to make you feel better, it's not fixing anything, but they won't prescribe more than T4. Why is that? And one doc raised his hand and said, because that's all we've learned. So there you go. I mean, when you're talking about endocrinologists, you're talking about that is literally all they have learned. And that's what they are pushing on their patients. And then then beyond that, they haven't checked to see what has become false in the years since they've left medical school. Sometimes it's 20, 30 years ago that they were in medical school and they haven't looked at a book or an article or or research paper in in decades. And yes, you would think of endocrinologists as treating the endocrine system, meaning your thyroid gland as well, but that is simply not the case. And yes, they are scared of T3. Many endocrinologists are under the false presumption that T3 will cause a heart attack and create bone loss. And since then, again, going back to the studies, the studies have proven that completely false. It's negated. It's done. We're over that. But they're holding on to that premise that somewhere they were taught that, you know, that suppressed TSH level is bad. And that high T, you know, if you give somebody T3, they're going to have a heart attack. God forbid you give a pregnant woman T3. Oh, my goodness. Meanwhile, if a pregnant woman's thyroid is not optimized, if her iodine levels are low, if her T3 is low, she's having a baby with autism, developmental delays, severe retardation. It's bad. It's really, really bad for brain development of the baby. But again, we circle back to endocrinologists are scared and they haven't 
boned up on the latest research. And we can say that to some conventional docs too, not just endos, but endos are the worst of the bunch. I am sorry if there's a good endo out there listening and cursing me right now as he listens to my podcast in the car, probably wouldn't be listening to me, but I apologize. And if you are awesome, if you are A1M1 and, and you kick ass as an endo, reach out to me and let me know. I, I will refer people to you. I promise you that. And I will give you praises up one side and down the other. But in my experience and in my experience of 25 years and working with thousands of patients, I have a list of two good endocrinologists. That's in the world because I have patients in the UK, Australia, and South America. So that's in the world too. I'll leave you with that. Okay, I'm on a statin. Can this affect cortisol? Yes. So number one, if you're on a statin, you probably don't even have to be unless you've had a previous heart attack. Statins only work on lowering LDL from a genetic predisposition to have high LDL and then post heart attack. That is the only time that statins are absolutely needed. Remember that with total cholesterol, they change the re they change the range. It used to be 300. Now it's 200. Why? To put more people on statins. If you go on a statin, you're probably on, if you are on a statin, you're probably on one unnecessarily. You probably need to address your thyroid first and make sure that your thyroid gland is optimal. And then you need to lower insulin because you also probably have insulin resistance. And if you're running around with high insulin, you're going to be, you're going to have high cholesterol and your doctor's not going to be happy and slap you on a statin. Number two, you're on a statin and now you have elevated cortisol levels. Now what's cortisol going to do? It's going to push up insulin, which is going to make your cholesterol numbers worse. And it's also going to interfere with thyroid function. So high cortisol levels will interfere with T4 to T3 conversion, and it's just going to make the whole situation worse. I mean, in addition to being the second most prescribed drug in the world and having the number one most side effects, like top, I mean, just so many side effects, I couldn't even list them because we'd run out of time. Statins are absolutely horrendous. Synthroid is the number one most prescribed drug in the world. Statins are number two. And, you know, Synthroid just comes with that list of like a few side, you know, you got your hair loss, you got the fact that it doesn't really work on its own, and you're going to stay fat. Statins, you can step off the side of a curb and get spontaneous femur rupture, meaning your thigh bone could break in half. And that's after you've had the muscle cramping and muscle pain and joint pain and and, and fatigue and brain fog. Hey, sounds like thyroid. Well, it could be the side effect of the statin. And then it could also be increasing your cortisol, making your thyroid gland work less because that T4 cannot convert to T3. And then cortisol creates a whole bunch of inflammation and then high insulin levels as well. How long should I wait before eating or drinking coffee before I take my Levo? And this applies to any T4 medication, not just Levo. So number one, you have to wait one full hour. And I mean, not 40 minutes, not 50 minutes, one full hour, 60 minutes between the time that you take your T4 medication. Let's say you're on NDT that contains T4, or let's say you're taking T4 in its own form along with, if you're lucky, T3. And you take that T4 right now in the morning then you must wait one full hour before you, you can drink water, but you don't want to drink you know, coffee. You don't want to eat no protein shakes, no celery juice, nothing like that. One full hour, because if you wait less than that, 
your absorption rate plummets. Now, one thing that I always tell my patients to do is move that T4. If you're on T4 only, not NDT. With NDT, it has that T3 in it. This could affect your sleep. Move that T4 to right before bed. Literally lay it on your pillow. And before you climb into bed, you take that medication. Now, that means that you have to leave an hour before you go to bed without food. And you want to, you could take your melatonin within a half an hour. You want to take your magnesium one full hour before and any other medications or supplements that you take before bed, you want to leave that one hour. So sometimes that's more of an issue for people than it is taking it in the morning. But I found that patient compliance, it makes it way easier to get up in the morning and just have your coffee. Now, T3 is not as sensitive. T3, you could probably get away if you're breaking it up and it's not in NDT form, you could probably get away with T3 um, being like half hour, 45 minutes before you drink coffee. And I would say try to make it so that you are taking it on a bone dry, empty stomach, empty stomach, like first thing in the morning. And then if you're splitting up your T3 and you're taking it in the afternoon, again, leave like a half an hour to an hour on either side and don't play around with the, the half hour, 45 minutes until you're optimized. Once you're optimized, you can get away with a little bit more. And, but while we're trying to get you optimized and we're adding in that T3, I wouldn't mess around with the timing. I would try to leave one full, full, full hour, full hour. I'm taking a minute to interrupt the podcast just to tell you how you can sign up for a free discovery call with me to learn how we can work together as a team and how I can help you to get your life back. So if you go to my website at amyhorneman.com and click on book a call, you can schedule a call that's convenient for you. It'll be about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and that's where you will learn what it looks like to work with me, everything that we cover top to bottom with your health, how we develop a treatment plan, a personalized nutrition plan, a personalized supplement plan, and how we work together as a team with me holding your hand to get you your life back. Okay, what are the optimal levels? TSH, T4, and T3, some people are being told they are within range, WNL, within normal limits. You're normal, you're fine. You're within range. I hear this over and over and over again. It's one of the biggest things that pisses me off. It is not right. The doctors are telling people that they are normal, that they are within normal limits, and they are suffering with symptoms. They're fat. They're frustrated. They're tired. Their hair's falling out. They're depressed. They're anxious. They can't sleep. They have no libido. <sighs> okay. That's my mini rant. Optimal levels for TSH, optimal functional medicine, optimal levels. TSH, we like below a two. Now, someone asked me, well, don't you like it above a, a one? Don't you like it from a one to a two? Don't you like it from a 0.5 to a two? No, I don't care. I don't care if it drops too low. Because guess what? If you're on any kind of T3 medication, if you're on NDT, if you got T3 in the mix, your TSH is going to become suppressed. And that's okay. And knowledgeable practitioners will know that and will see that. And we won't think anything of it. We'll go, oh, yep, okay, TSH suppressed. All right, good deal. Moving on. Let's look at your free T3 and your reverse T3 because those are the two most important. So free T4 optimal is 1.5 or above. Do I really care about it if you're T3 only or if your ratio of T4 to T3 has changed where you're taking more T3 and less T4? No, I don't really care about the free T4. I take it into consideration, but it's not my main focal point. Free T3 should be 3.5 or above. 
Reverse T3 should be below a 12. Now, like I always say, free T3, 3.5 or above. Some people do really, really well in the higher end of the range. Some people do really well above a four. Some people do really well at a 4.5 or five. That's okay. It has to come back to how you're feeling. It has to come back to your symptoms, right? It has to come back because you are more than a lab value. So it has to come back to your symptoms. We cannot just say, oh, 3.5, boom, you're done. Okay, you're good. Stop your medication or stop stop increasing your meds. And you're still like, but I have brain fog and I continue to gain weight and what the hell. So you might need a higher free T3 level and that's okay. That's why I say 3.5 or above. Now reverse T3, we want below a 12. Now, I'll accept below a 15 as long as your free T3 is up and you tell me that you feel fantastic, you've lost weight, you have energy, you can you know, talk to people all day, you're focused, you're concentrated, you're not depressed, you're not anxious, you're good to go. Then I'm okay with that. Then, okay, you can have a 14 or a 15 for a reverse T3. I mean, chances are it's going to continue dropping because we're optimizing you, but you can have a reverse T3 below a 15. Above a 15, forget about it. You're not converting properly. You got to take a look at that. I mean, I had one patient a couple of weeks ago. She was going to the emergency room. She was like feeling lightheaded and panic attacks, going to the emergency room. Her reverse, when she finally got it tested, was a 26, a 26. That's insane. I had another patient the other day. She's still trying to work with her own dog. We're crossing our fingers. I don't know. I forget whether she's in a state that she can't that we can't prescribe to, or whether she just, you know, we have some patients that are like, no, no, my doctor is great. And then three months later, we find out that you have a high reverse T3 of a 22, not good. And now we're saying, hey, you're on T4 only. I know you wanted to roll this dice and try to like do all the conversion factors and, you know, all this fun stuff to help convert T4 to T3. But guess what? You need T3 because your reverse is too damn high. And oh, by the way, look at your insulin. It's through the roof too, as is your fasting glucose. So you don't get some T3 and that makes your screw because all that T4 is getting pushed over to reverse and you're staying hypo. You're staying hypo. That's all there is to it. All right. Couple more minutes, couple more questions. You talk a lot about the importance of testosterone, but my doctor told me that since I had breast cancer, I'm not allowed to take hormones. Is this true? Okay, so this question can be applied to men as well who have experienced prostate cancer. All right, this is not true at all. So inside the literature, if when you dig into the literature, you will find support for the use of testosterone after both breast and prostate cancer, as well as the use of progesterone in both men and women, progesterone men. In both cases as well, because there are no contraindications with progesterone, post-breast cancer therapy, post-prostate cancer therapy, none. And some, we actually find that progesterone in a low dose can really, really benefit men. So testosterone post-breast cancer is amazing to just restoring how a woman feels, especially after going through chemo, radiation, a mastectomy. I mean, it just it just lights a woman up. I mean, we, we, we fix the thyroid if that got tanked through chemo. We support the thyroid if a breast cancer patient had hypothyroidism before and maybe wasn't being diagnosed, wasn't being optimized, wasn't being treated properly. We support the thyroid. We give a little bit of testosterone, progesterone post-breast cancer. We give a little testosterone, progesterone post-prostate cancer. And people 
feel amazing. This helps so much. So progesterone dosing for women, usually around like 50 to 100 micrograms or milligrams. I have some women that go a little bit higher, but if you go too high, you can actually get the same symptoms of low progesterone. So we have to kind of tweak that and make that your own and kind of fit it to you as the individual. And then for men, 10 to 20 milligrams per day can even work to boost libido in conjunction with testosterone. So that's kind of like a nice, a nice double, double effect for the men. You know, you get a little bit of, of a, an, an improved erection and higher libido and better energy with the testosterone. Then you sprinkle in a little progesterone in there and bam, it's not like, it's not like Cialis or Viagra where you have to worry about a four hour erection, but you know, everything's going to improve. So, Hey, why not? Right. Okay. People are enjoying my rants. I love this. Oh, thank you. Should you did? All right. A couple more, a couple more. Should you drink distilled water with thyroid? You know what? It doesn't really matter. So distilled water is pretty great at flushing out any kind of water retention. So when I was competing back in the day, when we would do, you know, the last few days before a show, we want to get rid of any kind of water retention. So distilled water, and I still tell people this to this day, I'm like, don't believe me, just try it out. You will pee like a racehorse, right? You drink distilled water, it does something. It just flushes you out as opposed to spring water or Dasani or whatever. It just flushes you out. So Distilled water is just amazing if you have water retention. It's not, I mean, it's not required for thyroid. I've never heard of that kind of coming together and having that be a, a requirement for thyroid, but it does help with water retention. So if you ever, like you got a wedding to go to, you got to look amazing on the weekend or whatever, and you want to lose a couple of water, you know, pounds of water weight, or you have really bad PMS and you're retaining water like a camel, Drink, try to drink a gallon of distilled water. It's a challenge, right? You walk around with that gallon of distilled water, you pour it into your into your mug or into your your stainless steel, not BPA free, stainless steel water bottle, and you just drink from that. Throw some ice in it, call it a day. Number one, that trying to drink a gallon is almost like a challenge. So for my type A's, that's a really good challenge for you. And number two, it's freaking eye-opening at the end of the day when only half of that is gone and you really think and you've convinced yourself that you drink a gallon of water, but you don't at all. You're only drinking a half because you're way too busy and you just keep filling up your water bottle like halfway and you think that you're drinking it all the way down, but you're not. Okay, last question. Does a keto way of eating reduce thyroid function? Oh, this is such a great question. And I actually just built a course that will be released in the next couple of weeks called Keto for the Week. And it goes into all of the myths of the ketogenic diet and thyroid. So you've been told and you've been pounded and you've been slammed with Dr. Google and forums and people saying that if you go keto, it re will reduce thyroid function. And that is simply not the case. It is only the case if you go less than 20 grams of carbohydrates a day for a day after day, months on months on end, then we do see a slight reduction of T3. But if you go keto for the week, come out of it on the weekends, if you're doing it guided, if you're doing it clean versus dirty keto, it is absolutely amazing because nine times out of 10, insulin resistance accompanies hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. We always see insulin resistance, especially when we go by the functional ranges. We always see insulin resistance with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. So with insulin resistance, what are you going to do? Are you going to, you're going to go plant-based? You're going to eat a ton of fruit and peas and pea protein and plant-based protein and a ton of veggies and your quinoa and your rice 
All you're going to do is jack your insulin up. Here you go, interfering with T4 to T3 conversion with your insulin. And you think you're going to lose weight on that when you're insulin resistant? No, you're going to continue gaining weight. You're going to hold water. You're going to be poofy. You are going to feel like you're carrying a water baby in your belly. You're going to create inflammation with high insulin. I always say, if you want to age quickly, you know, if you want some Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer, and wrinkles, go ahead and walk around and be fat. Walk around with high insulin levels. That'll do it. You walk around with high insulin all day, day long, you definitely will age very, very quickly, die soon, and not be happy in that entire process the whole entire time. So yes, keto is beautiful for those with a thyroid condition, any thyroid condition, because you probably have insulin resistance too. And if you want to check it, look at your insulin. Is it below a six fasting insulin? Is your A1C five to 5.2? And is your fasting glucose above an 86 when you take it? If any of those are yes, you may have insulin resistance. I was on a time crunch today. So I have to leave you, but that's why I was doing a speed round 20 minute Q&A. I hope this filled your brains with a whole bunch of important nuggets. I think this was a good one. So please share this. Make sure you subscribe to the Thyroid Fixer podcast. It's on all podcast platforms. All right. Thanks, guys.